When I was a kid, yeah, we had some fun Christmases. And every day, every Christmas day around 12.30 or 1 o'clock, my cousins and my aunts and my uncles would all show up. And when they showed up, the first thing every year they would ask is, can you guess? What'd you get? They walk into, what'd you get? What'd you get? And I'd ask the same question. And, and I was reminded of this yesterday when I called my parents um, and my Aunt Thelma is there and she says to one of my kids, what'd you get? And it's like, wow, the people, if you're there, they look a lot older than when I was a little kid, but the questions never changed. And I always thought it was a good question, so let me start with it for you. What'd you get for Christmas? For real, anybody get anything? Nobody got anything. I got movie tickets. Movie tickets. You got movie tickets too? Yeah. All right, you guys can go together. <laughs> you get anything back there, Peyton? Nothing? You got jewelry, a shirt? Oh, man. Did everybody get something for Christmas? Yeah? Well, today I want to talk about that. And does anyone know who Paul is? Remember Paul in the Bible? The Apostle? Do you know Paul got a Christmas present once? Now, if you're awake and astute, you're going to realize that Christmas wasn't celebrated back when Paul was alive. It happened a long time after that that we started celebrating Christmas. But Paul got a Christmas present, and he loved his present so much that he wrote a letter about his present. Do you know what he got? He, he got what? Blinded on the road to Damascus. You're on to something there. Today I want to talk about what Paul got for Christmas. I want to help you see that you got the same thing. And my goal is that when someone asks you the question, what you get for Christmas, the first thing that comes to mind is what should come to mind, all right? We're going to look at Paul's Christmas present in the book of Second or the letter of 2 Corinthians. And you go to chapter 9 there. And when we look at this, you're going to realize that this has absolutely nothing to do with Christmas, or so you think initially. What Paul's doing is he's writing a letter to the Corinthians, and in chapter 9 he's talking about a collection or a gift that they're going to be sending off, and he's trying to um, get them ready to do this and remind them of it. And we'll start in verse 6, and what Paul says here is, the point of this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one of you must give as he, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing, and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also supplying in many ways thanksgiving to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission, flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ, and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What's Paul talking about? He's talking about giving uh, financially here. He's talking about giving a gift. And he's explaining that the reason you give a gift is because God has given a gift to you. And what's the gift that he talks about that God gave him to him is 
in verse 15, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, Paul is a man of words. He's never been in a shortage to come up with a way to describe something except one thing. The Christmas gift he got from God. It's inexpressible. It means unable to be explained with words. And it's pretty obvious what that gift is. Any idea? It's Jesus. So this is what I want to do. I want to look at why Jesus was an inexpressible gift to Paul and how Jesus becomes an inexpressible gift to us. All right? So watch this. In order to do this, I think the best way is to look at, in Paul's words, what made it inexpressible. But let's start with the foundation of what Paul understood. If you go to John 1, remember we were back there, oh gracious, probably two, three months ago? We'll be back in John starting next week. But if you go to John 1, the first three verses say, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Paul understood that Jesus was God in the flesh, okay? It's an important foundational understanding. Paul understood it. Then Paul wrote a letter to the Romans. And if you go to Romans chapter 8, verse 23, I'm sorry, verse 32, you will see, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, Gave him, up, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What's Paul saying? That God gave us Jesus. He didn't spare his very own son Jesus for our sake. And because of that, he'll care for us perfectly at all times. Paul goes on in the letter of Romans in, in um, chapter 5, verse 9. He says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Paul's saying that every one of us was due to face the wrath of God because of what we had done. But because God gave us Jesus, we don't have to face the wrath of God. That means we're not going to be punished and separated from God for all of eternity. That's a pretty cool thing if you think about it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Humility. You know what that means? that you don't think you're more important than you really are? Well, nobody gets more important than Jesus because Jesus is God. And Jesus decided on his own that he would come down here, humble himself, and become a servant. He would take on the form of a man and, and die for us. Here's where I'm going with this, folks, before, before I lose you all. I'm rambling through some verses of the Bible. I don't think anybody here would say, I completely disagree, that's just gibberish. Maybe you will. We can talk about that. But I don't think most people here would disagree. But when we read those, it sounds like if you got a letter in the mail. Dear Perhax family, the Pennsylvania Lottery Commission wanted to let you know that you won $50 million. Congratulations. So let's say Lauren reads that. Eh. And she just goes back to whatever she's doing. And her mom comes down. Lauren, what came in the mail today? Nothing. Not a big deal. A couple days later, Megan sees it. Dear Perhax family, the Pennsylvania Lottery Commission would like to inform you you've won $50 million. Oh, well. She puts it down. Well, if you read something like that came in the mail, what would you ladies do? You started to smile now, Lauren, huh? <laughs> if you saw a letter that you you probably hide it from your mom and call up, um, this is Kelly Perhax. <laughs> if you had a letter that said you won $50 million, you'd spend the rest of the day thinking about that, wouldn't you? And the day after, and the day after, and the day after. You wouldn't just read it like, blah, 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 blah. When you look at these Bible verses here, can I explain something to you? 
Romans chapter 5, verse 9. We read it like this sometimes. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. Blah, blah, blah. Read a little slower. Since therefore we, all of us, have been justified, made right, by the blood of Jesus, much more shall we be saved from... Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You understand what Paul's saying there? He's saying that you and I have sinned. We have disobeyed God time and time again. And just like as a kid when you do something wrong, a good parent punishes you, a holy, just, and perfect God must remove you from his presence because you have sinned. And what Jesus did is he came down, and so we don't have to face an eternity of separation from God in hell, which is our choice, what we've decided to do by our actions. God sent Jesus to reconcile us to himself. That's better than the $50 million. It really is. But sometimes in our heads, it doesn't sound better than the $50 million bucks. You get a letter in the mail. $50 million. Woo! You get a letter from God. Eh. Right? Am I right? But Paul had it right. Paul didn't get a letter from the, uh, the Lottery Commission of Tarsus. You've won $7. Oh my God, that's like $30 billion in contemporary money. But Paul wrote a letter which he received from God. Here's what I want you to understand. A couple things. Meditation. You know that big fancy term, meditation? Most of the time we think of meditation as, as the, the world thinks of it. You know, I think you're supposed to say, it's not called crisscross applesauce. What are they? But what do adults call it? I don't imagine you go to an yoga class and like, everyone sit crisscross applesauce. <laughs> Whatever they say in the yoga class. And then you do something with your fingers, you're like, hum, and you empty your mind, right? Well, meditation from God's perspective is actually filling your mind. It's filling your mind with the Word of God, with thoughts of God, for the purpose of understanding application and prayer. You take a verse like that. These memory verses, we'll talk more about these coming ahead. These were not some sadistic exercise to prove you can't do it. Everyone here know their birth date, social security number, phone number, address, name of kids. You can remember stuff, okay? But we tend to remember what we think is most important. I've never seen someone, I don't know my social security number, but I can recite Isaiah for you. <laughs> the fact of the matter is, we can remember if we really want to, if there's importance to it. Plus, God will help us remember things. So you might think, oh, it would take a miracle for me to remember a Bible verse. Good news. I know the miracle man. When we meditate on things, they become more meaningful to us, and they become important. So what made it inexpressible to Paul? Well, he knew how to meditate. Paul was a man who thought about what he read and put things in perspective. And he got to the point that he wrote something like this. Indeed, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. I'm sorry. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Is that how you view life? If someone took all of your stuff away, would you be devastated? Or would you be excited that you still had Jesus? If you lost something, would you be able to be joyful because you still had Jesus? Paul says in Romans, he says, Oh, what a wretched man I am. Do you guys consider yourself wretched people? Paul wrote in Romans 2 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Here's where I'm getting at. Ready? 
To understand what's so inexpressible about Jesus, you have to understand who you are, who God is, and where we live. Until you do, it's not going to be inexpressible. When you wake up Christmas morning, I'll hit the conclusion and back into the bulk of the sermon. When someone says, what did you get for Christmas? You ask Paul that question, if he lived today, he would smile on his face and say, I got Jesus, what would you get? He may very well have gotten a pile. He may have gotten the iPod Touch, and he may have gotten a brand new car, and he may have gotten clothes, and who knows what. I don't think anyone would give Paul the one-year Bible. I think he pretty well would beat his own down. But the first thing he would say is, I got Jesus. And he'd ask, did you? He's going to say, because it's sitting right there, and all you got to do is open it up. And you go, ah, ha, ha, that's so silly. He goes, no, 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 it's not silly, because here's the deal. God loved us so much that he sent his very own son. To be born in a manger for us because we're sinful, wicked, rotten, nasty people. Ah, what a wretched man I am. He said, what are you talking about? You're strange. I'm a good person. What makes you good, Paul would say. Well, I try my hardest. I do my best. And and that makes it so that God will let me into heaven. Remember the ladder from Christmas Eve? And Paul would say, no, that's not how we get into heaven because no one is good but God. And if you're listening close to what I'm saying, there's some Bible verses coming out of there. You store up God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him, but also so the Holy Spirit can prompt you to speak through you to people when they ask what you got for Christmas. But let's get back into the bulk of the sermon before I wrap it up and finish the fastest sermon I ever did. I've got to be careful here. In the summer, my family goes to Milky Way Farm. Have you ever been there? It's a dairy farm up in, is it considered Chester Springs? They have great ice cream. I highly recommend the vanilla fudge swirl. It's phenomenal. And after you get the ice cream, if you have little kids, you get dragged over to the dairy farm section. And it stinking reeks. My kids want to see the cows and the pigs, and they smell like raw sewage that is baked in the summer sun for way too long. And the closer you get, the worse it smells. And they don't notice it. But it's horrendous. And I'm like... (laughs) But if you're there for like half an hour, at about the half hour mark... It doesn't smell that bad anymore. If you stay for an hour, which I've done, it doesn't smell at all. Do you think the smell dissipates? What happens? You get used to it. Understanding the inexpressibility of Jesus is about understanding a dairy farm. This world stinks. At Milky Way Farm, this is a really cool house. And I always thought, oh, that would be great to live in that house. And I wondered, if you lived there, would it stink? Like, would you wake up, oh, or would you wake up and be like, ah? You'd wake up and be like, ah. You know why? You live on a dairy farm and get used to what a dairy farm smells like. It wouldn't be until you left the dairy farm and got a whiff of the shore, that fresh air blowing off the salty water. You know that smell, the good smell? That you realize a dairy farm stinks. Well, we live in a proverbial dairy farm. It's called the world. It stinks. And it's not until you get a whiff of the fresh aroma of God, that you realize how much this stinks. And the hard part is, you realize you got to stink too when you get a whiff of who God is. But you see, when you live with a bunch of cows and you're a cow swatting flies, you don't realize you stink. You may be actually a fresh-smelling cow because you got combed or something in the previous week. It's not until you let God give you a whiff that you realize how bad you smell and how great God smells and God can't let that stink in his presence. But you know what God does? God sent Jesus not to clean the stink off, but to make us a new creation. 
Bible says in 2 Corinthians that the old is gone and the new has come. You see, God doesn't turn us from dirty dogs to clean dogs. He turns us from a dog to a zebra. He changes us completely. We become a new creation in Christ Jesus who don't stink. Now, we still live in the stink, but the problem is we have to ask ourselves this. When you start to smell good, see, when I walk up on the pigs and the cows, you know what they're thinking? Oh, actually, they're not thinking much of anything, but play with me here. They're thinking, oh, man, this guy stinks. He smells like soap and deodorant. Oh, dear, go away. You're ruining it. And the pig's like, oh, these kids, I reek. Because you smell different. They want you to smell like them. As Christians, we're a pleasing aroma to God, the Bible tells us. But to the world who hates God, we stink. Paul says, oh, what a wretched man I am. Paul was a dairy cow who realized he stunk and lived on a dairy farm that reeked, who got a whiff of the fresh air, who asked God to take him to where the air smelled fresh, and God cleaned him up by making him a new creation. Now, when you realize the reality of the situation around you, how you pursue life, what you do in life, and how you treat life changes. I ask you another question. Where are you from? Where are you from? Chicago. Matt, where are you from? Anybody else, where are you from? I'm from heaven. See, I told you, when I throw loaded questions out there, you've got to be careful. The Bible tells me that my true citizenship is in heaven. It's not where I was physically born. I was physically born in Nurshell, New York. But when I came to faith, I had a citizenship change. I'm a citizen of heaven. And when you love Jesus, you are too. But the hard thing is, we've never been to our true home yet. When I go home to my parents' house, it smells like I, I'm used to. For I don't know what it is. But you walk in, it smells different. And you recognize that smell. When, when we go home to heaven, we're going to smell something. Go, you know what? I recognize that smell. The Bible tells us that God opens our eyes so we can see the truth. I think God also opens our noses. We all got a deviated septum by sin that makes it so we can't smell right. And God does some corrective surgery in our nose and oof, we get a whiff of God if we want it. And when God, when, when God opens our eyes and, and offers us the whiff and we choose the whiff and we smell it, we begin to recognize more and more day by day how awesome God is, how bad we stink, and how incredible what He did for us is. You tracking with me here? So, imagine it this way. This is why I'll give you three examples of life. Because the reality is this. We know the intellectual truth. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Okay, I understand that I've done bad stuff, and yeah, that means that God can't let me in His presence, but Jesus came and died for me, woo-hoo, and I also won $50 million. It was a great Christmas. We know it up here, but we don't live. I didn't win $50 bucks. We know it up here, but we don't believe it, really. We don't live it like it's down here. So imagine this. Imagine you go to some tribe in a sub-Saharan Africa, and they're starving. They're in the middle of a famine. And you come in with pallets of food to the starving people. What are they going to do? They're going to eat, no? Do you think they're going to like play with the plastic wrap? Oh, look at there's poppy plastic on here. Pop, pop, pop. And you're like, dude, I got food. You can live if you eat this. Oh, who cares about that? We're not that hungry. Pop, 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 pop. Is that what they would do? They would eat the food. They'd be insane to not eat the food. But sometimes... You can forget you're starving. You can go actually insane and play with a poppy rat and let yourself starve to death when the food's sitting right in front of you. 
Jesus said that he is the bread of life. The problem is that we don't realize we're a spiritually starving race. So we play with a pop wrap. Pop, 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 pop. And the food's sitting right there in front of us. It's not until we realize that we're starving and we feast on the bread of life. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. But see, I don't really need to read the Bible or memorize the Bible. I'm just fine. Well, either God's lying or you're wrong. Right? We're starving. We need nourishment. Jesus came to offer eternal nourishment, but we need to be nourished day by day. You can't eat food on Sunday to last you through to next week. You've got to eat every day. You can't store up food like a camel stores up water. Imagine you go to a people dying of thirst in the desert, and you bring them water. What are they going to do? Drink the water. Jesus says that he's living water, right? We are a spiritually dehydrated people. Jesus came to rehydrate and perpetually hydrate so that springs can flow out of us of living water too. But we don't realize that we're dying of thirst because it smells so sweet when you live on a dairy farm all the time. Imagine you walk into someone's house and there's a dead body laying on a bed. And someone comes by and they walk in and they say to the dead body, rise and get up and boom, they pop out of that bed. And you see my eyes oh, pretty cool, I gotta go. Jesus tells us very clearly, or Paul tells us in Romans 6.23, that we were a people who were dead, but we received Jesus, and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We read that, and it's kind of like, huh? We see a body pop up off a bed, and it's like, whoa! Well, the body ain't you, but Romans 6.23 is you. And you've got to sit and park on that verse for a minute and think about it. You've got to meditate on it. You don't just glance over it. You stop, you sit on it. You, know, you, don't, you don't have to read this whole book every year. You can read a verse a day if you want. Let God speak to you through the verse. Look at Romans 6.23. Spend five or ten minutes thinking about it, praying about it, asking God to explain to you more fully what it means. And then you'll start to see that you were physically moving, but spiritually dead, lying on a bed, going to spend eternity separated from God, which is hell, because that's what we've all chosen on our own. Apart from Jesus, it's where we all go. And God sent this guy down who was God to die on a cross so that, bang, you can get up off the bed and move around for eternity. And it only gets better and better day by day. And the more you chew on that, the more amazing it is who Jesus is and what he did for us. But just like you've got to realize you're starving to take the food, just like you've got to realize that you're dying of thirst to take the drink, you've got to realize you were dead in your sins before you can realize that Jesus brought you back for eternal life. So here's a question I have for you. When someone says, what would you get for Christmas? Now you probably remember what you got yesterday. If I say, what would you get for Christmas five years ago? Mm, that gets a little tough, doesn't it? What would you get for Christmas 15 years ago? You don't have a clue. If you pulled a picture out of a Christmas 15 years ago and saw the thing, you would still have no idea what it was. Some of you weren't alive 15 years ago, right? If I asked you this, 100 years from now, what would you get for Christmas in 2010? You should be able to remember one thing you got for Christmas. And consider the rest of it rubbish. Now, now don't get me wrong. With, with words like rubbish and stink, dairy farms are important farms. They give us food. They give us nourishment, right? They provide jobs for people. I'm not saying that if you live on a dairy farm, you, you, 
you, you stink, but it's a different type of stink. I mean, you have a physical aroma about you, but you have incredible worth and you're doing something important. But it's not what's most important. So you unwrap the gift, and let's say that you got a, a big flat panel TV set. That's pretty cool. Enjoy it. And put it on a wall, invite me over to watch football in high definition, and enjoy the TV. But put it in perspective. Let's say the lottery commission really does call you, and they say you won 50 million bucks. Go ahead and dance around the living room a little bit. Make sure that you... Uh, you fall down before God because you've got a heavy burden put on you there. But keep it in perspective. Because a hundred years from now, you're not going to be sitting somewhere in heaven counting out your leftovers. But you could sit in heaven and fall and worship God perpetually throughout the day. And here's the thing. Sometimes when we think about heaven, if we're not careful, we think, Oh man, is that like an eternity of having to go to church? Yeah, but the right way. It is an inexpressible gift that we've received in Jesus Christ. Paul understood it because Paul knew who he was, who God was, and what God did for him. Christmas, it's about dairy farms. Life is about dairy farms. Life is about realizing we stink. And Jesus came to not just clean us up, but to change us. And to offer us an inexpressible gift. Now, sometimes we have a hard time learning about God and growing in our faith. I think it's because we do it our way as opposed to God's way. Here's how you do it. You've got to get to know Him. The primary way getting to know God is through this book. It is not boring. The simple fact of the matter... I read a great quote by a man named R.C. Sproul. He says, The reason people don't read the Bible is not because they're too busy. It's not because it's too difficult. It's not because they um, can't understand it. It's because it's work and it's hard and they don't want to. I attribute that to R.C. Sproul because I don't want to have anybody looking at me mad. This is not that hard. Yes, there, there are parts in here that are difficult to understand, but there's plenty that's easy to understand, and it's not until we get into it that we meet God. It's not until we begin to cultivate, which I'm actually going to work on this year and helping out as a church us do this better because I think that that's something I've not done well enough for you guys. Understanding what spiritual disciplines or spiritual exercises are and how to do them so they're not drudgery but a delight so that Jesus becomes more of an inexpressible gift to us as we do things like read, study, meditate on the Bible, pray, worship, share our faith, take care of everything God tells us to the way he calls us to. And we can see that reading the Bible isn't like, oh my gosh, I have to do this. It's, oh my gosh, I get to do this. I want to do this. Because God actually speaks to me through this word, but it's not until you get to that point and see that truth that this is going to have any value to you. It's not until that, you know, like Patty and you and Diane were saying, you see God at work. Could you imagine living a life where you saw him so clearly at work, day by day, right in front of you and in you and through you, the excitement that you have about it? Well, that's what God wants for us. And as we live a life of obedience to him more fully and recognize the sin that permeates every area of our lives and turn our lives over him with greater and greater trust, we'll see that so stinking clearly day by day and be used so powerfully by God. When someone says to you, what did you get for Christmas? You're simply going to say, oh my God is what I got. You're say, what? That's not grammatically correct. Oh yes it is. My God is what I got for Christmas. Jesus, did you get it? Did you open it up yet? Because God gave it to you too. Here's what you got to remember. Paul, that's a man of deep faith. He considered himself a wretched man. I consider him a pretty awesome guy. 
I can't wait to meet him one day. Paul, what did you get for Christmas? I got an inexpressible gift. Well, you know what I want to do? I want to have a Christmas. I'm being honest with you here. You ask me what I got for Christmas, my first answer probably isn't going to be Jesus. But I want it to be Jesus. But because I don't always do what I want to do, that's in Romans too. I'm going to let God start working through me, His way, not my way. This year, I'm really going to be focused on developing a proper spiritual workout. I got parts of it down, Pat, but I need a more robust plan. I need the P90X of the Bible. I, 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 need, I need the create, spiritual creatine. I need to run the Iron Man God's way. And as I do that, I am, I am sure of this, that God will make it inexpressible. It is... Could you imagine an exercise program that says, if you, if you do this, you are guaranteed to have these results. All you have to do is do it and you're guaranteed. Like a diet program. You eat this diet, you'll be perpetually healthy. Well, you know what God says? If, if we work out His way, He will make us like Jesus. Whoa! That's pretty amazing. It's better than being built. It's better than being slim. It's better than being rich. God makes you this promise. If you work out my way, Let's get spiritual. If you do the disciplines of Bible reading and meditation and prayer. Let's talk about it excitedly. If you work out in God's gym, you will be just like Jesus. Well, can you guarantee that? Oh, I can guarantee it. How can you guarantee it? Because I sent my very own son to die for you, and I live in you in the form of the Holy Spirit, and I'll take care of the lifting, you take care of the obeying. Deal, deal, God, let's go. And then you wake up one morning and go, oh, but God, I don't want to. Discipline. Tom Landry, gosh, I wish I wrote this quote down. The job of a coach is to make men do what they wouldn't normally do so they can be greater than they think they ever could be. That's pretty darn close to what he said. You can Google it if you like. Here's what a spiritual discipline is. It's letting God cause us to do things we wouldn't normally do so we could become something greater than we could ever imagine that we would become. One day, you're going to die, and you're going to meet Jesus. And you're going to look back on life one of two ways. Wow, you knew what you were talking about. I'm so glad I obeyed you. Thank you for using me. And he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Or you're going to look back and say, oh my, what could have been? And he's going to say very honestly to you, yeah, what could have been? And he'll give you a big hug, and he'll welcome you into heaven, and he'll help wipe away the tears. But when we look back, are we going to look back and remember that day we won the $50 million jackpot? Or are we going to remember the day that the verse stuck in our head, that God so loved the world. Are we going to think about the fact when we fully comprehend it, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God? Or are we going to think back to the day when we sat in church on that Sunday, waiting for the snow to come in, thinking, Pastor can ramble. I can. Thinking, when did we get to go? But in the back of our head, maybe God stuck a seed in the dirt of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And he put a little verse in our head the inexpressible gift. And hopefully starting this day, for all of us, that little seed grows and grows and grows into a mighty fruit-bearing tree. So that down the road, when people ask you this question, because I'm going to ask you again next year, and the year after, when people say, what'd you get? What are you going to say? That's what we need to decide. Because you can't fake it. Paul wasn't faking it. He was like, oh, I'm writing a letter. It's got to sound spiritual. It's got to sound real holy. You know, Paul's like, guys, I got to leave poker night. I got to quit drinking so I can write straight in the morning. And I got to make it sound good. Oh, I've received. No. Paul was a man who loved Jesus because he knew who God was and who he was.
And I pray the same for us. And it's a guaranteed fact that if you trust God, He will make you like Jesus. And there is nothing more amazing than to be like Jesus. And there's nothing more incomprehensible than to think that somebody like this can be like Jesus. It's an impossibility. I'd have to become a completely new creation. Empowered not by myself, but by God. It would be a miracle, wouldn't it? Why well, know the miracle man? And that's who I got for Christmas. It's an empty box. Nothing in there. What I got for Christmas, part of it lives in here. It died on the cross on Easter. Came back to life. Went to live in heaven. You know why? Because I stink. And this stink can't go into his presence. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would help each and every one of us understand what is so inexpressible about Jesus. I can't make anyone understand it. I can't make myself understand it, but you can. God, I pray right this very moment, you will give us perspective. I pray right this very moment, you would convict us of sin in our lives. I pray right this very moment, that you would reveal the truth to us. So that we can truly understand what and who we were given for Christmas. Thank you, God, for your patience. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the fact that it is you who guide us. It is you who carries the heavy burden for us. It is you who makes the guarantees and we who get to rejoice in anticipation of their receipt. God, you are great. You are awesome. Help us understand it more so. And in the precious name of that baby who was born, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.